Following Fauci's retirement slash stepping down slash he's not going anywhere party, women in women's sports, what a concept, medieval times and the fight to unionize, and of course, my final thoughts. That's coming up next because my show starts right now. Dr. Anthony Fauci finally announced his retirement, or so we thought, and no one, literally no one, is complaining. He served as chief medical officer to the president for five decades now, and some would say it's been a few decades too long. He's been in this role, the highest paid government employee, by the way, under seven different presidential administrations, but most of us didn't give a hoot about him until the last two, when he became not only the self-anointed definition of science, but also a tyrant and giant pain in everyone's ass. Yesterday, in a plot twist that is so Fauci we shouldn't be surprised, he told reporters he isn't actually going to retire, just step down from his current position. Even worse, what he has planned sounds like it could be even worse. Yesterday, he smugly told reporters, What happens between now and then I have not decided, but the one thing I do know is that I have other things that I want to do in a professional way that I want to have the capability while I still have the energy and passion to do them. What else do you need to do in a professional way, Tony? Haven't you done enough? For years now, or an eternity in COVID years, some have been hanging on Dr. Tony Fauci's every word and whim, at first willingly and then forcibly. His flip-flopping guidance has shaped our lives, how we live, breathe, our livelihood, all in the hands of that little tyrant with a Napoleon complex and an agenda to push. Fauci was raised up as the COVID whisperer and health messiah, his smug little face all over our TV screens and his guidance spewed across every headline except during the summer riot season of 2020 when BLM propaganda replaced his. But now that Lord Fauci is on his way out slash way into something else, similar to the other leftist hacks who are about to be unseated and unelected, let's take a look back on some classic Fauci moments. First on the list comes from March 2020, the start of the pandemic, when Dr. Fauci not only said masks weren't necessary, but echoed the same sentiment many of us free-the-face advocates have been repeatedly lambasted for. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. Weird, because then this infectious disease end-all be-all expert told us to mask, then unmask if we vaxxed, then double mask, and here we freaking are with so many mixed messages, who the hell even knows what to do? These poor liberals are still wandering around wearing face masks alone in the park or in the car. Tony, please tell these people it's going to be okay for the love of God. But my next Fauci moment comes courtesy of a hot mic and a hot-tempered Tony. After a heated exchange, and by heated exchange, I mean someone who doesn't worship Fauci asks Fauci a question, Dr. Fauci can be heard on a hot mic referring to Kansas Republican Senator Marshall as a moron. Classy Tony, classy. But if you thought that was classless, well, wait till you see what appears to be Fauci's shrine of Fauci. After seeing that behind-the-scenes look into Fauci's obsession with himself, something tells me he and Hillary Clinton are, or at least should be, really good friends. But hey, if he wants to stare at images, sculptures, statues, and bobbleheads of himself in his retirement, that's fine. Just get the heck out of government and leave us all the hell alone, Tony. But smart move announcing your professional shift now while you have a friendly and sleepy administration in charge. 
Even Fauci knows good and well Joe is done in 2024 and the next Republican in the White House would not only fire him, but investigate him and then fire him. But let's not forget, Tony did a lot of damage in two years and he can do a hell of a lot more in the next two, whether he's in government or his new passion project. So what we ought to do is take back Congress in November, investigate Fauci the tyrant, and force his retirement slash incarceration by Christmas. That should be our goal and our passion project. Don't let the door or the karma hit you on the way out, Tony. But up next, this former Kentucky swimmer finished behind biological male Leah Thomas in the championships earlier this year, and she's calling out Thomas and the NCAA. Riley Gaines is next. Women competing as women in women's events, a novel concept I know. Who would have thought we'd be sitting here in 2022 with nationwide protests for so-called women's rights? And meanwhile, those same feminists remain silent or even cheer as biological men compete and beat biological women in sporting events. But in a big win for women's sports, swimming's governing body has banned most biological males from competing in women's events. But that didn't stop the NCAA and UPenn from nominating Leah Thomas, a biological male, for the coveted Women of the Year Award. Now, the numbers don't lie, folks. You don't go from 400-something ranking as a man to number one as a woman without an advantage. But my next guest knows all of that too well, and she's calling out Leah Thomas and the NCAA for its sham nomination of a man for Woman of the Year. Former University of Kentucky swimmer and fellow Woman of the Year nominee Riley Gaines joins me now. Hello. So your tweet to our, our founder Clay Travis got a lot of attention over the weekend because yeah. you said hey listen this nomination is a slap in the face to actual women and right. it makes this award essentially worthless. Are you still hoping to win the award or at this point is it just such a farce and a joke and a mockery? Who knows where exactly. we're at? Exactly. At this point they've completely demeaned um, what we do, our efforts, our sport, our gender. I don't want that award, and I hope there are other nominees that feel the same way. Um, having Thomas up for that, that is not what I am trying to display. That's not what I've tried to display all four years of my collegiate career. And so being against that, and that's what they're kind of promoting in a sense, I don't, I don't, it's not what I'm, hoping to get out of this. What I want is to make a change and make a difference. And so that's where I'm hoping this leads me. Well, there has been some positive movement in that direction. I think people are getting a little fed up. It's one thing when it's one person, an anomaly, and then now it's starting to become more regular with biological men competing as women. It's become almost the in vogue thing to do, and it's been right. celebrated and it's been glorified. So with that also comes people that are saying this is BS. We've seen the photos, though, not only with you and Leah Thomas, but other swimmers right. looking visibly disgusted to see Leah Thomas there, not because you're anti-trans or anti-LGBT, but just because it's specifically unfair. Exactly. Exactly. Are these other swimmers, are they speaking out or do they not have kind of the guts that you and a few others do? So there aren't a lot of current swimmers speaking out, um, especially within the Ivy League, which is where Thomas swims. Um, they're being threatened. They're being intimidated. Um, I know a bunch of the Ivy League girls who have been told they will lose their scholarships, which is illegal, first and foremost. Um, is the coaches telling them this or the uh, People the within public? the athletic department. Um, yes, uh, there was actually an email, a screenshot of an email I saw that got sent to um, all the, the members of the Ivy League swimmers that said, if you feel uncomfortable with a male changing in your locker room, then you should seek counseling. So, I mean, what an infringement upon women to be told that if you're uncomfortable seeing male genitalia, go seek help. <laughs> it's absolutely absurd. It really is.
this is going to become more and more common as this is more mainstream as well. But I want to go back to another controversy that involved you and Leah Thomas specifically. You both tied for fifth. So you were both supposed to get a trophy. Uh, Leah Thomas ended up getting the trophy and then yours was just going to be sent in the mail. Did you ever get it? I got it a couple weeks ago. Um, but same thing with the NCAA Woman of the Year. I don't even want that trophy. Um, I'm a 12-time All-American, so I have tons of those at home. Um, but basically what happened is after we tied, you go behind the awards podium and they distribute the awards. And so obviously ties in swimming are really rare. They don't account for those when they make the, make the trophies and such. And so um, we went back there and the NCAA official said, Great race, you guys tied, so we're gonna give Thomas the fifth place trophy. You can pose with the sixth place trophy and it will come in the mail. And so at this point, I'm more understanding because I understand there's only one fifth place, but I, I asked the official, I was like, okay, um, can I ask you why you're adamant on Thomas holding the trophy over me? And he just looked at me and said, well, we're just doing this in chronological order. And so it was at this point I realized exactly what was happening. And so I asked him, I was like, what are we being chronological about? Because one, we tied. And if we're basing this off the alphabet or whatever else, <laughs> yeah, you what alphabet? possibly base it off of, G comes before T. So I'm just not following. And he looked at me and said, Thomas needs to hold the trophy for photo purposes. Yours will come in the mail. And so this is when, like, my... I kind of put myself in this position to where I knew I was, I had to say something about it because I knew not a lot of other people would and I was presented with a great opportunity. Um, a mind blowing, just crazy, crazy situation. Um, obviously the NCAA was not prepared for something like that, um, but it's an organization that I know I have essentially dedicated my whole life to and so many other female athletes um, work so hard to get there and to be not only forced to compete against men, but put on the, the back burner for men, um, it was extremely eye-opening and extremely disheartening. For a photo op. Yeah. For a photo op. Well, yeah. Leah Thomas needs to be, for chronological purposes, and just for the photo so it looks good. Right. Now, when you're talking to your coaches, other people in women's swimming, there's been decisions made, hey, listen, we're going to maybe create a new category. we got to do something here. Yeah. And that's essentially what they announce is they're moving in that direction. Should there be another category for those that are transgender and they compete against each other? Or how would you like to see that I shape out? I think for sure in a sport like swimming where it is a bit individual base, you're on a team, but you're competing for yourself. And so I think in a sport like swimming, it gives everyone the chance, um, athletic opportunities, it gives everyone the chance for success. Um, it protects these different categories that were created to already protect a group. Um, if you think about the women's category, it was created to allow women to have opportunities. And so I think having a new category isn't by no means something that should be thought of as segregatory. I think it's just something that can ensure everyone opportunity and everyone success. Well, you're right. That's great that you brought that up because there's a, a women's division and a men's di division and no one's saying that you're being segregated. It's just exactly. this is how it works. We have biological differences and when we're competing, we're, we're on a different playing field because we're biologically different. But right. What do you think about all the feminists out there that are talking so much about women's rights and they want to empower and uplift women? But then in this particular instance, it seems like the LGBTQ Flag flies a little higher than the women's rights flag. Yeah, it's complete hypocrisy. It's just crazy that we, like you said, not, uh, along with Title IX, the feminist movement has been going on for, I mean, Title IX, this is the 50th anniversary, but long before that. And so 
to have everything that you fought so hard to get and then do a 180. It's just regression. That's the only the word the only word for it. Where do you think sports is heading, especially collegiate sports in this new era of woke? Because it seems like with each passing semester, things get more woke and more woke and more woke. Where do we end up in the next two, three, four, five years? What does competition look like? I think it only will continue on this trajectory um, unless there are some changes made. But I foresee, I don't foresee that happening, um, at least any time relatively soon. Um, at least not soon enough. I think the damage has already been done in my eyes. Um, the NCAA has taken no accountability, which is a, a not a good sign. They haven't said a single word um, about any of the, the craziness that happened in March at our national championships. And I just don't know if I see that changing anytime soon based off their, how they've handled the situation, especially um, this NCAA Woman of the Year nominee. I think a lot of people are blaming UPenn, which yes, UPenn is definitely at blame. But after being nominated, Leah had to fill out an application um, that basically goes to the NCAA, which then accepts the nomination. Um, and I know because I had to do this too. And so Thomas is at fault, UPenn is at fault, and the NCAA is at fault for this. And so this is something that didn't just happen because um, rules were already in place and they didn't have enough time to change them. They chose Thomas and accepted Thomas over women. This was a virtue signal. Yeah. You spent time around Leah Thomas. What is her demeanor like? Is she just shameless in, in what she's doing? Does she, at some point, do you feel like she maybe feels a little bad knowing that she has an advantage? Or what is that dynamic like? I don't know. I would say there weren't a lot of swimmers at NCAAs really conversing with Thomas. Um, there was actually one other transgender swimmer there who is transitioning from female to male and goes by he, him, but of course falls into the women's category, um, which is a whole different. Wait, wait, so you're telling yeah. me that <laughs> when they say that there's no competitive advantage, but then you have a situation where an actual woman then shouldn't, that exactly. actual woman be competing as a man, if that's how they identify, that makes no sense. This is something the media has completely just not covered, but we had another transgender somewhere there. Like I said, female to male, um, went by Isaac, he, him, um, actually swam completely topless, which is, <laughs> it was just extremely, the whole situation was uncomfortable. Um, but there hasn't been a lot of complaints there because technically, Isaac was competing with their birth assigned gender, their birth assigned sex. Um, and so... How would Isaac would have done if Isaac had to compete against men? So they wouldn't have made it to NCAAs. <laughs> That's the thing. Exactly. And so this proves to me that the women's category is clearly a catch-all. Um, and it's at total jeopardy here. Um, but like I was saying, not many swimmers were conversing with Thomas other than Isaac. Um, I think people were very touchy. They didn't know what to do, how to handle it. Um, the locker room situation was just completely absurd. It was uncomfortable. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of interaction, I would say, with a lot of people in Thomas. And again, it goes back to it's not because you don't like Leah Thomas as a human being or even that you're anti-trans or whatever. It's just a matter of this is not fair. Exactly. But unfortunately, the moment that you criticize what she's doing, you're seen as a bigot or intolerant. 
And I've seen a lot of articles in some of the more left-wing articles. They characterize you and your fellow swimmers that have been vocal. They characterize you as right. homophobic or intolerant or anti-trans. How do you feel about that label? They're completely missing the point of anything I'm saying, which shows me they're not listening. Um, because like you said, it is not Thomas as the problem or it is not someone like Isaac that is the problem, clearly, because no one's even heard about Isaac. And so I think people are very quick to jump and say something um, rather than sit and listen and try to understand um, the argument. And I think this is partly in, due to the media. I think the media pushes these things um, and they don't give full insight into things. After I did my first, um, my first piece with Daily Wire, um, the Daily Mail, which is, I know it's on that Snapchat thing, you know, they have the whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, they posted an article and it said, Swimmer slams Leah Thomas was the head title. And I was like, okay, that is not what I've done. That is not what I've tried to do. I never want to be disrespectful to anyone, no matter who you are. Um, but I think it's very quick for people to assume that. But now I've gotten to the point where if someone is to make that comment to me, it's right over my head. Like yeah, it, doesn't it shouldn't even, bother you. It doesn't bother me because, because I they're, know. Because they're dedicated to misunderstanding you and they're going to categorize you in that way regardless. Right. But good for you for speaking out. I hope more like you will speak out because I think that's what it's really going to take for is sure. people that are actually in the sport saying, this is wrong, we need to make a change, we need to make a separate category. That's how you guys are going to get traction because otherwise, and this is in a lot of areas of life right now, People are canceling themselves by remaining silent or being so afraid of being exactly. called a name. It's time to stand up. So exactly. good for you for doing that. And I hope that you win the award even though you don't want it. <laughs> Thank you. you. Can I, yeah, we'll see. I definitely would not probably accept that award if it boiled down to it just because it's devalued to me at this point. And just crazy. So. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear you say that, but I still hope you win. Well, well thank you. And if you want to put your trophy here somewhere, you're <laughs> yeah. welcome to put yeah. it on my set here in Nashville. I know you're a Nashville local, so you yes. can come visit it anytime you like. <laughs> All right, up next, the unsung entertainment heroes, or knights rather, of medieval times are fighting a real fight, a fight to unionize, and a real-life head knight joins me next. Oh, medieval times, a dinner and performance experience unlike any other. Jousting, eating with your hands, and a good old time courtesy of the hardworking knights, trumpeters, stable hands, and jesters of the dinner theater brand. But behind the scenes, these medieval entertainers are fighting a different battle, the fight to unionize and improve their wages, treatment, and working conditions. Now, I'll admit I had no idea this was a thing until it started trending on Twitter a short time ago. Apparently, workers across the 10 U.S. and one Ontario location are tired of dangerous working conditions often created by drunken, rowdy guests. And while the fight to unionize continues in other locations, the good folks at the Medieval Times in Lyndhurst, New Jersey, recently made some headway and have joined the American Guild of Variety Artists. Joining me now is Antonio Sanchez and Medieval Times Night in New Jersey. Antonio, thank you so much for being here with me. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. So you are part of the Medieval Times that was able to unionize and join an artist's uh, union. Tell me about why you guys wanted to do that. What are the conditions like that made this necessary? Um, fundamentally, like the biggest push towards it, I think, in my opinion, was that um, around the corner, people saw that um, the business around the corner had gone on strike. And we had been raising concerns about um, compensation and safety, guests kind of grabbing the queens, you know, getting onto the stage. Uh, we had raised all these different concerns and it it was kind of like, um, it was kind of just like band-aided for, you know, a couple months after we came back from uh, the pandemic. Um, 
they pushed a little like uh, they kind of said to us like oh don't worry about it like we'll 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 make it up to you guys down the road right now you know with the pandemic everything had kind of gotten um, rough financially like most businesses did which we all were like we're, we understand 100 percent um, but here we are 12 months later and really nothing was being done. And a lot of people were tired of uh, just being ignored and not being heard. Um, I've worked there for eight years. So it's like, for me personally, it wasn't, um, it's not something that was endemic to post COVID. It's things that, you know, I had been seeing it, you know, my entire time working there. So I want to talk about some of those things, because in the article that really exposed a lot of this and got a lot of attention, it was talking about a lot of people think of medieval times as a place where you take kids or you have birthday parties. But really what it's become is a place for corporate events and for drunk and rowdy adults to go and have a good time. But then they get drunk and then they start doing things. They start touching people. They start spooking horses. And then it puts you guys really in danger. You're dealing with animals. You're dealing with you know a performance. But you're dealing with people that, quite frankly, aren't respecting you. And it sounds like maybe your management or your upper management wasn't really hearing you guys when you were talking about how dangerous it was becoming because of some of these guests. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Um, a lot of when any when you have any kind of live show, especially with live animals, um, horses, especially uh, there's no there's no 100 percent way that you can prevent people from acting out, you know, like people in the crowd getting excited, you know, that's the whole point of the show is to get people excited. Um, but we don't have, um, we don't have a dedicated security staff. There's an event staff. Uh, we have cops on Saturdays, but even then it's, it's one cop. And then there's like 750 to 800 guests. So it's like trying to have, trying to mitigate that risk. It's, it's difficult unless you have like guidelines in place. And, um, I think a lot of that, kind of fell through because when we came back it was just it was just kind of like hey you know we're kind of kind of take it easy and well, you know, it probably had a lot to do with people wanting to get people through the doors and then you don't want to upset your guests or you don't want to wrangle them in any way because the upper management and the company just wanted to get those people in seats and paying money. So you want them to drink and eat as much as possible and have a great time and people to come back. But then it's, you know, really you guys that take the fall for it and you guys that are put in that position. But now that you have unionized, at least in your location, what are you guys planning to do? Because your CEO came out and said, you know, you guys think that you've won. You haven't won anything. You just got somebody else's hand in the pot now. And now you're part of a union. But, you know, your CEO doesn't expect it to do much good for you guys. What's your take? Me personally, I mean, the whole point of the union, it's not like it's not like anybody here is looking to make like 100 grand a year doing this. You know, like we love to do it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't do it. You know, New Jersey is extremely expensive to live in. And we brought it up to him and everything like that. So, like, it's not like we're trying to, like, make him look bad. And we're not trying to make the company look bad. It's a great place to work. It's just like this this collective voice. You know, we want more of a voice. And the one other alternative to doing this was maybe like having like a walkout. But when people were talking about that, like nobody wants to come in to work a job that you love. And there's 700 people in the crowd. And there's a bunch of little kids' birthday parties that you just ruined because you walked out and you are refusing to do a show. Nobody wanted to do that. Um, so I think like just having a collective voice through the union, there's a it's a proper paper trail. It's a you know it's a way to be heard, and that's really all people want. 
it's not to smear anybody. It's not to demand anything. Nobody's demanding anything. It's just like, Hey, look, you know, like we need to take this, take us a little more seriously. We're adults. I've been doing this eight years, you know, like just want to be taken seriously. And it sounds like you guys all really love your jobs. It sounds like a really fun job. But, you know, in closing, do you have any crazy stories of things that you experienced in your eight years of being a knight? Any any outbursts from the audience or the crowd that you could share with us that might surprise us? From the crowd, um, I've had people throw chicken at me, you know, spill beer over the glass, you know, onto me. Um, I've had people, like, reach over and you know, like, you know, kind of like grab like my costume and stuff, but like nobody's ever like run into the arena. Um, I've seen people try to like stand up and, you know, like not like get into the arena, but be like, Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, but nothing like nothing crazy. It's not like people go, uh, insane with it. People just get loose and, you know, they have a good time, but there are definitely things that could be done better. Um, that, uh, were you know brought up and just kind of didn't happen well you got to have your employees feel safe in their environment and it is a fun place to go but people can't just act buck wild plus there's children around so you've got a weird dynamic in medieval times of young kids and then really drunk inebriated adults that are acting a fool which is all part of the experience i suppose but congratulations to you guys for your union i hope it makes things much better for you and if we're ever in new jersey we're going to come out and see a show because it sounds like a great time Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. All right. It's one thing to virtue signal, and it's a whole other thing to virtue signal so hard you pretend to be handcuffed. Just another day in the life of AOC. My final thoughts are next. It's our all-American right to protest, but when you have to literally pretend to be handcuffed and arrested, when you clearly have not been handcuffed and arrested, it's a little much. And I have some final thoughts. The right to protest and peaceably assemble is our constitutional right, but when you're so thirsty for attention, you have to pretend to be handcuffed for effect when it's abundantly obvious you're not actually in handcuffs? Well, that doesn't make you a noble and virtuous American protester. It makes you a jackass. Look, I get it. The left, and particularly those on the left who lack substance of any kind, need to rely on abortion and abortion protests to make their constituents think they're really doing something to fight the good fight. But AOC and squad take performative nonsense to a new level with this display, and it's embarrassing for them and anyone who had to watch it. Was she escorted away for blocking traffic? Yeah, sure. Did she know it wasn't within her rights as a protester to block said traffic? Of course. Is that the whole reason she did it? Yeah, absolutely. But does she think her fans, followers, and advocates are that dumb they don't notice her handcuffs are 100% imaginary? Law enforcement and Capitol Police have enough on their plate in this current political climate without Instagram influencer wannabes like AOC strutting around trying to put on a show. It's pretty telling, though, that she and those like her have to try so damn hard to be controversial, even if it means literally making things up. Furthermore, if she is, and it really appears she is, trying to evoke the emotions and images of the civil rights movement, what a slap in the face of those who are actually handcuffed and brutalized for their true and righteous protests. But this? This is a farce for attention and social media likes and validation. And what's worse, some of the media are perpetuating her fake handcuffing as if it happened. 
Boy, you think that's why we don't have a lot of faith in much of the mainstream media? Because they bend even the truth we can see with our own freaking eyes? This takes shaping a narrative to a new level. Do you all think we can't see or that we're just dumb? I've said it before and I'll say it again. If AOC wants to be a social media influencer and make money off hawking cheap products and messages for a price and a rev share, she should do that. But stay the hell away from the halls of Congress where legislative action or inaction actually affects lives. We see you, AOC, and not only are you not handcuffed, you're not some messiah for your movement or any movement. You're an actress and not even a good one. Hashtag ad should be your call sign, not U.S. Congresswoman. And those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.